the big story of the week, I think, was that all of a sudden the winds shifted in the country, the mood, the the electorate. Uh, since the summer in the Dobbs case and abortion becoming a big issue, there has been uh, a real tightening. It looked like Republicans were going to just blow out the Democrats. And then all of a sudden, things were very tight. The Democrats were up different places. And um, and basically now it's shifted back and uh, everything's tightening up with Republicans gaining ground and, and opening up leads and making where they were behind 10 points. Now they're behind four and so on and so on. And uh, a pollster who I happen to know a little bit, Robert uh, Cahaley, uh, with Trafalgar Group, uh, I heard him on the radio. I've talked to him off of the radio uh, as well. And uh, But on the radio this week, he was pointing out that there's no shift. There's no movement here. The electorate didn't move over to the Democrats and then move back. And of course, I think he would admit that he can't prove that that didn't happen. It's just from his polling, he doesn't believe it. He believes that what's happened is that media and other institutions that do polling want Democrats to win. <laughs> and when you're doing a poll where you want a certain outcome, well, you want it to be close then if the Democrats are behind or to, to look better. You want to help them. And the better their poll numbers look, the easier it is for them to raise money unless, you know, unless they've got a 20 point lead or something. And what's interesting is that a lot of the polling has been registered voter polling. You take a poll. Are you a registered voter or you use a database that's registered voters and you do your poll? Well, that's a terrible, you know, uh, a set of folks to do a poll on. Now, it is the total audience of everybody who could come out. But in a midterm election, half of them aren't coming and maybe more than half. Um, and so you're you're polling half of the people who are going to vote. And then the other half of your poll is people who aren't going to vote. And. And so you've seen in, in recent weeks that more of these polls have shifted to likely voters where they ask you a question, you know, are you likely to vote in the election? Are you, you know, are you assured that you're going to vote and so on? And then that's who they poll. And if you say, oh, I don't know, or I'm probably not going to, they stop the call. They're not, they're not counting in the poll. Um, there are other ways to do it. A lot of people don't realize, you know, you poll a bunch of people and you then sort of demographically pick and choose and glom together such that you have 52% of your of your respondents women such that you have the racial breakdown that you that you think the electorate's going to be which might be slightly different than than the public as a whole uh because you know whites tend to vote more blacks tend to vote a little bit less uh, latinos a little bit less percentage wise and and of course all of those percentages change every time so it's it's not an exact science uh, and and pollsters can be wrong without being dishonest, but there is a tremendous amount of judgment calls, educated judgments being made about who the electorate is, and and so you know be aware of that when you're seeing polls, and be aware too that uh, 
that polls have to be very careful not to indicate how they want people to answer. People in a phone call with somebody they don't know, if they think that person wants them to say yes, they are much more likely to say yes than if they think that person wants them to say no. And uh, Robert Cahaley, for instance, believes that there's somewhere between one and four or 5% of the electorate that is turning out to vote that will not respond to pollsters. Uh, they're Trump people maybe who don't trust that they're, what they say might not be used against them in some way or, or what have you. There's, and this is not new. It's not new to Trump. It's not new to the post-Trump um, situation. It's happened on a number of different issues, but it tends to be uh, anytime all the media is saying one thing and you're going to find people who in polls are against that who might say, yes, that's fine. Yeah, you're right. Yes. When they really are going to go to the polls and vote, no, I'm so tired of hearing that. Um, so there, there are different anomalies, and again, this isn't, this doesn't shift fifty-two percent of the of the uh, respondents or twenty-two percent, but it is some percentage. And when you've got races decided by one percent or a half percent or three, uh, you know, it makes a big difference. So, so that's the big story I think of the week. But, uh, but I didn't write it up. But you only write five times a week, so you can't write everything, right? I think we should be doing one per hour. I mean, it's going to require that, uh, you know, that we have some kind of like stimulants to keep us awake 24 hours a day. But but what are we talking about? We're talking about Common Sense with Paul Jacob, which you can find at thisiscommonsense.org. Your name is Paul Jacob. You've been writing at This is Common Sense for since 1999. And my name is Timothy Verkel. I'm here to help you. And we're going to start this podcast now. You know, we had a Today in Freedom uh, segment on Monday that is, I think, uh, one, I think John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry in, uh, what was that, 1859? That sounds right. That sounds right, doesn't it? I think I have it right here. 1859. It's on the, the poster. Uh, we can show the, uh, the, we have a John Brown poster. It says American Hero. He was executed for treason. I think it was treason, wasn't it? Or murder. He would have got it for murder, but I think insurrection. Insurrection, I guess. That's right. That's right. But I think, you know, I think he had some justification. So I think he is a, a very interesting historical figure that we've we've always been uh, told very bad things about, even though, and and I think some of them are true, but I think he's a more complicated and a better figure than we've learned about in history. But uh we have a poster where he says, and I'm reading it here, I deny everything, this is when he was on trial, but what I have all along admitted, the design on my part to free the slaves. And uh, I'm all for waiting to do things in a peaceful way, if at all possible. But if there's any point at which people had a right to rise up with guns and seek to end a crime being committed, uh, slavery to me fits that bill. And uh, and we have that poster which people can download uh, uh, and put up on your wall, on the refrigerator, wherever your wife doesn't want you to put it. Uh, and then we also had a, uh, a, a 
item in the Today feature, which is basically Today in History, Today in Freedom, and it's the backers of John Brown. And it was six folks who secretly, because back in that day, you could give money secretly uh, a little bit easier than you can today, but who funded John Brown's efforts. Uh, and I, I'll never forget uh, the documentary I watched years ago when uh, the governor, the I don't remember his name, but the, the royal appointed governor of Massachusetts when it was a colony was replaced. And so the old governor goes back to England and and goes to meet with King George. And the first thing he's asked is, what are the state, what's the state of Hancock's finances? And when people com contemplate uh, campaign finance reforms, uh, it is critical for good things to happen that money be available. And it is not a new thing for people in power to try to take that money away and to make it to where, oh, you're, you're free to speak out, but no one's free to help you. And so you can't have a megaphone and you can't reach the kind of mass audience that we need to reach. That's what the censorship going on in uh, social media is all about and why it's so dangerous because it takes a, a medium that is incredibly powerful and capable of creating revolutions of thought and action quickly and it neuters it and and that's a that's a real problem and of course uh you know i salute these backers of john brown and again i don't have to agree with every movie ever made in his life but i i like people who put their money where their mouths are and uh and and try to make the world a better place i uh i'm not a big fan of george soros but the one thing i like about him is that he writes checks and tries to do what I take it he thinks is the right thing to do. He's he's a little deluded, but but you know I give him that, and I think that that's worth our society emulating and appreciating and not demonizing. What's the biggest story that you covered this week? Well, um, let's see what the biggest story is. Um, I I tend to think it's uh, Wednesdays. I would take it to Fridays. I'm going to explain why I think it's Wednesdays. And there's a bunch of different pieces. We'll get to them all. Uh, if you're waiting out there nervous that I'm going to skip one. Uh, but uh, uh, the reason Wednesdays, I think, is the most important is because it ultimately is about, it's called partisan police state tactics. Uh, and it's about a raid that most people probably haven't heard of. Did we decide it's Mark Hauk? Well, I know some Hauks, and they call it Hauk. Well, we're going we're going with that. It's uh, we're letting all the Hauk the Hauks uh, vote on it. Anyway, uh, anti-abortion activist uh, in Colorado uh, named Mark Hauk, uh, he ran into a problem at a at a uh, he was protesting outside an abortion clinic. Uh, a guy got up in his son's face or whatever, and he pushed the guy away. There was an altercation. This person filed a complaint or charges or what have you. And on the local level, they threw it all out as ridiculous. And then a year later, the Biden Department of Justice picks it up 
and going after him because there's a law that basically says you can't uh, you can't stop people or infringe on their right to go get an abortion. And uh, which, of course, you don't need any new law for that. You can't impinge on anybody's right to go to the to the dentist or to the record store. They don't have record stores anymore. But if you wanted to go to one, it'd still be your right. And, and so you don't need a new law, but of course they had to supercharge you because for some folks, uh, the right to an abortion is the only real right that they're interested in buttressing. Um, so this piece doesn't really take issue with them even coming a year later. I guess I do sort of, but, but the, the point of this isn't that they waited a year to come after him. The point is they came after him with a SWAT-like raid on his house unannounced at the crack of dawn, like they're stormtroopers, and this is a police state country. And it's a big, big problem. That sort of behavior, anytime the police can call someone and say, uh, we're going to come be coming by, or would you come down to the station? We're going to be booking you for this. This is a guy who's protested for a long time. I know some of these folks, they've been before a judge before. They've they've gotten citations. Um, and I know people in the anti-war movement. These people are not, you know, they're not going to run away and they're not going to open fire if if the, the long arm of the law is going to come down on them because they know it's coming down on them. They and and frankly, I don't think Mr. Houck was worried about this because there's no these are the flimsiest grounds that you could ever go after somebody on. He sought to protect his kid from someone, therefore you're guilty. I mean, come on. This is a policy that is designed to frighten and intimidate people from taking political actions because the punishment isn't that you can get convicted. The punishment is that they drag your kids out in the middle of the night. That is a real punishment. I don't know how many people listening you know, have, have had that happen. It's not fun. I haven't had that happen. I've had other things happen that weren't fun. But that's not, that's not okay. The other part of that is this is where bad things happen. Mistakes get made. Someone gets into the house too early thinking that, you know, this is a dangerous situation since we're all in gear and armed to the teeth. And the person whose house you're breaking into is, you know, concerned and, and opens fire. This has happened countless times. And, uh, and it's led to the deaths of policemen and it's led to the deaths of others and needlessly. And this is, this is a super stupid, stupid policy. But the worst part of it is what it the message it sends, which is it's no longer innocent until proven guilty. You can get on the wrong side of the government and then we can abuse you in different ways without ever convicting you of a crime. So your piece was though about some of the reaction to that. Was it by a representative? Yes, there were, there were Jim Jordan and another uh, representative uh, have sent a letter, basically Mike Johnson, um, saying we want to get all the documents uh and hopefully if republicans take the house which it looks like you know they're they're believed to be about to do that here in a few weeks it may be a lot easier to get answers to some of these questions <laughs> not easy but easier because republicans may request them 
but they're exactly right. Let's find out everything that was written and said by government officials as to why they went after this guy in the way they did. And um, and if laws were broken, then you take action. If laws weren't broken, but but stupidity reigned, then you take action too. Knowledge is power. And uh, it, it may be that that nothing was done illegally, but let's let's lay it all out in the in the you know light of day and uh, let the American people know what's going on. This sort of strong arm tactics done in a partisan political way, where on one side of an issue, if you commit a crime, we terrorize your family, we hound you and try to bankrupt you. Uh, what they're trying to do to the guy, uh, David Den Denelon, I, I, I can't think of how to pronounce his last name, but he's the guy, he and another woman, and he happens to have the, the bad fortune of living in California. They've gone after him for making the, the videos, the undercover videos of Planned Parenthood. Um, and Planned Parenthood was saying in those videos about how, what price they get for baby parts of the aborted fetuses and so on. And and uh, and of course, the state of California has gone after him for recording people illegally and the sort of thing that would never happen to the L.A. Times or the New York Times that, that and the media would be up in arms if it happened to somebody else. But it's happening to him. And the message is loud and clear. If you want to practice this kind of journalism, you better be on the left because on the right, you're going to go to jail. We're going to ruin your life. On the left, you'll be a hero and you can break any law you want. You'll be all right. On the right, don't break any law, because if you even think about not breaking the law, well, we'll still charge you. Uh, it's it that that this guy is being harassed like this. He's he's under indictment. He faces five or 10 years in prison. Um, it's completely ridiculous stuff. He did the world a service. He did normal investigative journalism. Uh, which is rarely done, uh, especially against someone who's sacrosanct in our ridiculous mainstream media, which is Planned Parenthood. So um, there's this is this case uh, uh, with the uh, Huck and in uh, <laughs> this name just gets worse and worse every time I say it. But anyway, uh, now I've got a bugaboo about it. But, but anyway, uh, this is this isn't the only case. There's a lot of these. Uh, there have been people on gun type cases, the Biden Justice Department seems to be very well aware of where President Biden stands politically on these issues, and they should be absolutely blind to any of that. The reason I thought Friday's was the bigger story was because it has something to do with uh, Chinese having police forces in the West. <laughs> That's not Friday's. That's not Friday's? That was Mondays. Oh, it was Mondays. Okay. Uh, Fridays is the uh, Ian and the scurvy knave. We won't spend a lot of time, so let's take Fridays first and just mention this is Hurricane Ian. Uh, and, and after Hauk, now I'm like, I'm not sure I can say Ian anymore. I'm nervous. Uh, it's funny how, uh, how I get on pronunciations, but uh, otherwise I'm a nice guy. Uh, anyway, this is the case of a roofer who is licensed in Texas and seems to have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and so on. 
but he went to Florida. And it's somewhat unclear whether he was under the impression that you didn't have to, that they had waived the licensing uh, and, and whether that's the case or not. But for whatever reason, whatever mistake he made, he went to Florida and helped people put roofs on their houses, which seemed to be kind of necessary. And he charged them money, as people are apt to do when they do services and provide you with products. And uh, and I, I had people respond who, you know, some of them who are in the, the business who say, well, some of these people are very unethical. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure it's true. Let's police them. Let's stop it. But at the very least, and it's something I don't mention in this piece, uh, years ago, a couple of years ago, Arizona passed a measure that basically said anyone coming into their state who is a barber or uh, some, some licensed profession, if you have a license in the state you're coming from, I believe you had a temporary for two years or whatever you had in, you know, with enough time for you to get a license in Arizona, you didn't have to wait. You could immediately use your license from somewhere else. Now, that doesn't solve all the problems with licensure. I mean, it's, it, you know, when we're licensing people to cut hair, you know, the worst that can happen to you is a bad haircut. I don't think that's health and safety. I mean, give, give me a break. And so they're just, some of these things are absolutely ridiculous to be licensed. But uh, in other cases, you know, I think people can make a better argument. Well, the it's just too catastrophic if we don't have some controls or whatever. At the very least, you would think in an emergency, you would have some sort of emergency process for people to come help because you want them to. And you'd also think that everybody would be moving to do what Arizona did and to say, you're a, you know, you're, you're a, you know, a roach, you know, what, what, are, they, what, are, they, what are the bug pest, uh, exterminator? pest exterminator. Yes. You know, you're an exterminator and you're not working in Xinjiang and China. Well, then come on down and uh, kill bugs. You know, it, it just seems to me that that some of these things are are uh, we've gotten so wed to that somehow if we put, you know, if it, it's like the Wizard of Oz. If you, if you have a, a little plaque that says you're, the government said you're good at it, you're good at it, and and we just move along. I really should, in the uh, interests of the amusement of our audience, make you pronounce the uh, man's name uh, who came from Texas. Terrence D-U-Q-U-E. Duque. That's how you pronounce it? I think so. You know, it's interesting because as soon as you said, of course, I'm nervous now. I may have to. I've been triggered. You keep triggering me, Tim. Um, but I've said, I, I looked at it. It seemed like Duquet, and I've gone with Duquet. And the nice thing is Duquet is very clear. It's two syllables. I can say them both. I can put them together like nobody's business. I never looked it up unfortunately, but I didn't see an accent over the E, so I had no reason to think it was too syllable. Ah. So, so it could be Duke. Yeah. But I think it's Duque. Or Duck. Oh, I'd love it to be Duck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Now, we can jump from there to uh, the Chinazis next door, which I cut at, you know, when I had first written this, I uh, I had noted in kind of joking fashion that I found out about this. I'd been to Toronto twice because I'd 
worked on something there. And, and, uh, and so I had been there twice in a matter of weeks. And all of a sudden I find out there's three, uh, three service stations. These are police service stations and these are not Canadian police. These are Chinese police. And it turns out there are 54 uh, police stations located in 30 countries around the world, including in the US of A, but there's three of them in Canada. They're all in Toronto. So I was I was thinking, they've put these up here. They knew I was coming. They're watching every move I make. We laugh, I hope anyway, but it's a, it's a heck of a problem when you think of the degree to which China is all over the world, all over America. There was a story uh, months ago uh, about a woman who'd, who'd been in New York for a while and she'd become an American citizen. And she figured once she got away from China that, you know, she could live without fear that, that you know, the Chinese communists are going to come get her. And no, not so much. She's harassed all the time. There are a number of cases where... Uh, there are, there are people who believe that that's what basically happened. Uh, the, the, there was a Taiwanese uh, uh, salon where a couple of people were killed in Southern California. Uh, this was earlier this year. And uh, the person who killed them was a Taiwanese person, but it was a Taiwanese person who was part of a pro-China reunification kind of thuggish group. And, uh, and so... You know, this is this is something where uh, they have one of these in Ireland, and they have one in the, they have them in the UK, and and nine of them in Spain, and and you know it means that if you're someone who leaves China, they still you better not break any any of their commandments or you're in trouble. And you think, well, what are they going to do about it? Well, they'll come get you. And in, in many cases, you know, I thought about this. Well, okay, this is a this is a problem, but it'd be hard to how big a problem. Well, it turns out there have been 230,000 Chinese expats who have voluntarily returned to China. Now, in some cases, this is voluntary in the sense of we're going to kill your family members we're going to deny your niece and your your daughter and your son-in-law or whatever the right to medical care or the right to go to school or what have you so there are all kinds of threats and stuff in, uh, involved and of course there have been cases of uh not threats but punches in the face and punches in the stomach and kicks and and beatings and so on and you know, if you if you doubt any of that, all you have to do is look at a story that ran one day after we published this. This was called The Chinazis Next Door. And of course, I'm talking about they're in Canada, but it turns out they're in their next door in New York City as well. But this other case was in the UK where there were protests. Hong Kong people there living in, in London were protesting outside the Chinese consulate when people in the Chinese consulate came out and smashed some of their things, kicked over their placards and so on, and dragged one of the people inside the fence outside the consulate and kicked and beat him and slugged him in the head and so on. 
And it turns out, according to a, a friend of mine who I, I believe knows, that he said the old man in this in that video is the consular general. And you see this, I look back at the video and I went, oh my goodness, that's the guy who kicked over the placard. And it's a very well-dressed, clearly white hair, like some of us, uh, you know, uh, a distinguished gentleman uh, kicking over stuff and and wrestling and so on. This is This is not just wolf warrior stuff. This is a thuggish state. And I've used the term Chinazis a lot of times. I picked it up in Hong Kong. That's what all over Hong Kong, probably not anymore. But at one point, there was a lot of graffiti that said Chinazis. That's what they call them. And I think it's absolutely the most accurate term. Because one, I think a lot of times people think communists can't get anything done. And that may be true. <laughs> but, but these guys are not communists. They've got tentacles all over the world. They, you know, they're very, very capable of causing big problems. But the reason I think it's fair to compare them to Nazis is that China is an ethnic state. That government puts Han Chinese above other ethnicities. Uh, it is a state that has a genocide ongoing with concentration camps that I know some of the some of the the pastels and the walls and the you know underneath the razor wire are probably slightly different, but they look so much the same. This is a regime that this is not their first genocide. I mean, there's an ongoing genocide against Falun Gong, and there's incredible evidence that they have for years, decades, been extracting organs from live political prisoners who afterwards are dead, but were live when they first went in to grab the organ out of their body. And of course, Falun Gong, who believe in not, not drinking, not smoking, not doing it, they've got really nice organs. It doesn't get talked about because we've got a bunch of pansies in the West who, oh, we wouldn't want to, oh, that's just something that it's too dreadful to talk about that. They can talk about anything. They can they can literally tell your four-year-old in some in some preschool program every dirty story they've ever heard, but they can't bother themselves to consider what's actually happening uh, in a country that has 1.4 billion people in it. And so um, this is, you know, I think you have to call them Nazis. And and so Chinazis is, is the right term uh, for me, because I think if you don't call them that, you miss the danger that they pose. Okay, very good. Uh, I probably have a title then for this piece. Chinazis is the right term. <laughs> I'd like, like to take you the title something you say. And two other pieces, Six Million Dimes and A Fully Baked Defense. I like both of those titles. Yes, I do too. And and uh, and I think both of those are yours, actually. I know the yeah, Six Million I Dimes. I took that just from, the, from the, the initial copy I got. It was a concept in the copy. I had a different title, which was cutesy in my own mind. But as soon as I heard uh, Six Million Dimes, I thought, oh, that's the... Because I tried to kind of inject it into the script. We're, we're in the weeds here, but 
but it didn't really fit. But it was great as as the title, I think. So let's get some applause. We need we need like one of those applause things that we could just you know a little laugh track and stuff behind us. Well, you know, when I was worked at a magazine, and that was a long time ago, coming up with titles was our favorite thing to do. And we could spend hours at it sometimes in conference trying to come up with the best title. Yeah. Because people really do need enticement to read something. It's not just you're entertaining them as well as informing them, right? And so if you give them a blah title, eh, they'll yawn and go to something else. You also can impact how they read the piece and pull out the right stuff by the right title and so on. And and I've always prided myself on titles. You know, when I was in journalism, I loved to write headlines and I love titles, but I'm I'm uh, I have to play second fiddle to you, sir. Let's mention this uh, a fully baked defense uh, because I think it's it's a a quick um, but important lesson. This is an update. This is an update. Yes, yeah, because you've been covering the story for years now. I think. Yes, it's been. A, I'll bet it was two years ago we did the first one on this. It's Gibson's Bakery uh, in what's the. Um, What's the city? Uh, it's Oberlin. Oberlin. Yeah, it's Oberlin, Ohio, Oberlin College. Uh, I always think of Oberlin because one of my mom's good friends uh, was from Oberlin. Uh, we went and visited there when I was a little kid. So I remember it. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> I've never it's, been there. Gibson's Bakery did a lot of business with the, with the school. It's right next to the school. Uh, long history. Well... Uh, as we've reported before, the uh, they a couple of people came in, they shoplifted. Someone stopped them, said, "No, no, no, you're not getting away with it." Those folks made a big deal that it was racially motivated. The school then helped them make it a the anti-shoplifting measure. Yes, yes, that the that that because the shoplifter happened to be black, it was a racist thing to stop him from shoplifting. And interestingly enough, and to that man's credit, he has not continued to play that game. He has come clean and said, look, I was wrong. I did it and and so on. But the school, Oberlin College, went ballistic and, and basically tried to, like, you know, slam the the uh, Gibsons out of business and uh, and and basically they went to Gibson's went to court. The court did a, uh, uh, I think it was $30 million, something like that, uh, judgment against them. And uh, they have paid that and it is over. And that's wonderful. But this piece is something slightly different. It's about the folks at Gibson's getting together with the folks at Legal Insurrection, which is a blog talks about these sorts of issues and making the point of how important legal insurrection was to the defense. This is both the attorneys who represented Gibson's and Gibson's people. And they made the point that this blog was important as moral support, but it was also important for there to be people who cared about it, kind of in a uh, wisdom of crowds people who cared about it having a forum where they could talk about it. And, and, and I find in life and politics especially, so often people miss the role that they play that's a hugely positive role in something. 
um, because they weren't the, you know, they weren't the candidate or they didn't dream up the issue or they didn't collect all the signatures. They didn't do it all. Or maybe, maybe they did something and it failed. Uh, years ago, there was a measure that my brother worked on in Arkansas that was looking to abolish the, the food tax and, uh, and it got crushed. But years later, the sales tax on food medicine had dropped precipitously by more than half. Now, you can look at their effort and you can say, well, you failed. You got your, you got your butt kicked. Or you could look at it and say, look at what you did. Look at what you kicked off by fighting the powers that be against all odds. And, uh, and I, I, so I love this story. Great Friday piece. Uh, often on Friday, as Tim knows, because uh, he and I kind of dreamed up that that's a good thing to do on Friday, was to have a little bit lighter, more positive piece, you know, so there's there's no Harry Carey on the weekend. And, uh, and, and I think this is a great piece just because it's people recognizing how important they are to each other and how working together, uh, you know, and, and, stepping up and speaking up for each other can really be important. So I, I love this piece. So on the previous day, Thursday uh, was 6 million died. And that's about the subject that I, well, it's really near and dear to my heart because it's about the biggest story of our time in, in, a, in one, you know, the big, the big story is the pandemic fiasco. And yes. This is about one aspect of that. The lab leak, theory which we we've done so much on on that when it was first talked about at the at the beginning of the pandemic and poo-pooed uh by Fauci and others uh who now we've seen their emails and their collusion with one another to try to kill any legitimate look into the lab leak and the reason that they tried to kill any look into it is obvious because Fauci sent money to Peter Daszak, who's who's in this piece, and we've written about before, uh, the the man the media missed because they don't the media should be all over this guy, and and they haven't been. We have, but unfortunately, the New York Times and the Washington Post have not. But uh, although although actually the Washington Post has called for him to be uh, subpoenaed and made to testify before Congress. So even they have started to pick up on this a little bit. But it's, you know, this Dazak, this is the guy who gets the money from Fauci, sends it to the, the lab in Wuhan. Now, once you know that that's happened, which most Americans still probably don't know, but, but didn't know for a long time because there was no media coverage. There was Facebook and other social media uh, clampdown on any information about it. Uh, so all these things were conspiracies, honest to goodness, straight out in the open now, conspiracies to block discussion of this. They were pushed forward by Fauci and by Dazak, and for obvious reasons, because if it's a lab leak in China, it's them. They're a big part of the, of the problem if that's what happened. And so, of course, they want to look somewhere else. And here, what triggered this, uh, uh, I won't say a second look, this 58th look, so we've done quite a bit on this, but another look at, at 
Daszak and, and Fauci and big government medicine is that they just got another $600,000 grant to send money to Echo Health Alliance, who can then send it to a Chinese lab to study coronaviruses. Um, and it's, it's as I pointed out in this piece, you know, uh, Daszak uh, submitted in, in 2018 a proposal to the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, uh, to experiment creating a urine cleavage site, which is the basically the, the thing that the SARS-2 has that's so unique. So it's, it's, there is so much here. And, and look, Tim, you probably know more about this stuff than I do, uh, but neither of us are saying, boy, with our medical studies and our scientific, you know, degrees and awards and so on, we know all. All we're really saying is that we know enough to look at what's happening and realize there has been a political cover-up of this from day one. Now, maybe they were covering it up just because they tripped and hit their head and thought they should cover it up. But I think they're covering it up because if it's a lab leak, they're on the hook for the fall. And, uh, and, and to see the amount of government and media collusion to hide this story, it just, I'll never, you know, I just won't look at big government science or media the same ever again. Well, on that note, I think we've concluded another podcast. I think we have. I think we have. Okay, people should go to thisiscommonsense.org. That's where you can find the podcast, five uh, columns every week, uh, and more. How's that? And more. And more. <laughs>